This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance, or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Ideas to Life podcast. Practical advice and inspiration to help you create and sell your own physical products. Here's your host, Vicky Weinberg. Hi, thank you so much for listening to this. Um, this is the first solo episode I've recorded for a while. Um, if you've been listening to any of the recent episodes, you'll have seen we've had some fantastic interviews. Um, we had lots of guests that I wanted to get on and share with you. Um, and I'm actually also recording this episode the same week that you'll listen to it, which is quite rare, actually. I'm recording this on the Tuesday um, and you're going to get it on the Friday. And that's because I wanted to get the timing of this episode right. So if you're starting up a products business, um, and I'm assuming that you, you're in the process of that or you're at least thinking about that if you're listening to this podcast, then hopefully you've already read or listened to my interview with Gemma Waits, which was the 10 things to do right at the beginning when you're setting up your products business for success. So if you haven't looked at that already, that's episode 22 and I'll link to the podcast episode and the blog post in the show notes for this episode. So Gemma specialises in helping businesses to get set up and grow and and have lots of success and she's got loads of experience here so I actually realized after recording an episode of Gemma that there were three things that we didn't actually talk about that um I think you do need to think about at the beginning of when you know when you're starting out with your business um not wanting to overwhelm you at all um but these are things that are quite quite specific to products-based businesses really which is possibly why we hadn't talked about them already um, they're probably not the most exciting things, but they're definitely important. Um, as I say, not meaning to overwhelm you, which is why I've left this episode a couple of weeks after Gemma's. Um, so that if you are sort of following along in order, um, you don't have too much on your plate in one go. Um, and none of it's really particularly time consuming. It's just a case of making a couple of decisions, putting some things in place. So this is likely going to be a fairly quick episode to listen to and you'll be able to go away and think about these things and maybe even act on them straight away as soon as you're done listening. So before um, we go ahead and I talk to you about the three things that I'd like you to think about getting set up, I just wanted to mention that I'm now offering, now that I have some availability with kids at school and stuff, um, I'm now mentioning some power, offering some power hours. So these are one-off calls you can have with me to use as you like they're paid calls um but I am offering a discount for the next couple of months at least because you know as you know I'm all about helping as many of you as I can 
And so these are calls to use um, as you'd like, really, in whichever way you feel I can help you most. So some ways you might use the Power Hour with me is to ask you know, specific questions. There might be a lot of things that you want to know. And obviously, the quickest way to get an answer is just to ask directly. You might want to share with me what things you've done to date. Maybe you're in the process of researching products. Um, maybe you're in the process of creating your product to sell. Perhaps you're already selling and you're wondering why you're not selling as many as you'd like. Um, if you know any scenario you have you want to share with me and get my input, advice, suggestions for next steps, we can do that. Um, I can also offer feedback on Amazon and using Amazon Seller Central. I know that's a platform that... Um, you might be interested in selling on and I, I know from my own experience Amazon is not always the easiest place to get started on um, and I think if anything it's getting harder and um, I've got years of experience using Amazon Seller Central and I'm really happy to have a call with you where we share screens and I talk you to, through some real-time training I can record these calls as well so you'll always have something to come back to I think that's particularly good for training calls because unless you're implementing things right away you know it's easy to sort of forget isn't it so um you could have a call with me you could ask me how to set up a product listing we could go through we could do it together live on the call get everything set up nicely and then you would have the video for you to come back to so if you are interested in this i will link through in the show notes um to my calendly page where you can book in this call pay for the call it'll be in the diary and uh, yeah and then i'll be looking forward to speaking with you so um now let's get on with the main content So the first thing I wanted to talk to you about is insurance. So I strongly recommend taking out insurance for your business as soon as you have stock to sell or perhaps stock on the way if you're sourcing it from overseas. So insurance policies aren't as expensive as you'd think they might be. And if nothing else, they give you peace of mind. Obviously, I hope you'll never, you know, you'll never need to use them. So there are three types of insurance to think about for products-based business and you can get the more than one policy. So there's public liability insurance which covers first-party property damage and injury caused by you or your business. So this kind of insurance is useful if you go out and about say to meetings or events or if people come and see you. I know at the moment I'm recording this in the UK in September 2020 um, so let's be honest we're not going out and about as much as we were and Um, People probably aren't coming to see us as much as we were, but you know, the world is going to change hopefully. But for example, I I guess I'm talking about if you run a physical store, if you attend pop-ups, shops, fairs, markets, again, um, as things stand right now, maybe you're not doing these things, but perhaps that's something you want to do in the future. It's worth thinking about having this kind of insurance. So I don't know if you're running um, a fair and you've got a big stand set up and somebody trips over and hurts themselves if you've got public liability insurance um, then someone can claim against against that insurance and even if you don't have any kind of physical presence and you never intend to so if you if you plan on purely selling online um, you still do you know you still do have responsibilities um, that you need to be thinking about so and you're still liable for the things that you sell you could still have I don't know some kind of accident that wipes out your stock uh, your supply chain could still be affected I know that this year in particular lots of people have had their supply chains affected by the pandemic um, so it is still worth thinking about having insurance um, there is something called online retailers insurance and that helps protect you in your business if there's a claim against you um, and that also helps for things like you know when the unforeseen happens and you're out of stock because your supplier can't deliver for example 
And then there's something called product liability insurance. And that covers damage to people and property caused by the products that you sell and that you're liable for. So, for example, if someone gets hurt as a direct result of using your product. And then there's also stocks. I said there were three. There's actually four because there's also stocks and property insurance. So that covers loss or damage of your stock and any equipment that you use. So, for example, um, let's say you have a laptop to run your business and that gets stolen. Let's say you have um, some kind of equipment you used to create your products and that gets stolen or it gets damaged. Um, I think it's really worth looking at having insurance to cover all these different scenarios. I could only find two providers that offer protection that seemed suitable for online retail businesses and I'll link to both of those in the show notes um, and in the blog post. Obviously things might change and as and when they do I'll update those links as well. Um, both of the policies that I looked at also offered the option of adding additional insurance for your stock. So if your insurance is held in a warehouse somewhere or even in, you know, in your garage or in your spare room. And also employers liability if you have any staff working directly for you. Um, something probably worth mentioning is if you're planning on using Amazon FBA, Amazon, so that's fulfilled by Amazon, where Amazon hold your stock in one of their own warehouses and they fulfill it on your behalf. So Amazon do state that they will reimburse you if any stock is missing or damaged um but in my experience they especially if you have a large number of SKUs and you know a large amount of stock they do move your stock around it does get damaged you often do get compensated for it but not always um i've certainly had in the past um a couple of units that have gone completely missing and nobody seems to know where they were and you know nothing ever turns up for it nothing i've ever claimed for it's only ever been a few items but having insurance still does seem sensible to me because if you had a big issue for example hundreds of items were were damaged or went missing then obviously you want to make sure that you've got some sort of insurance so you can claim against that and get compensated for it so that's insurance um as I say you need to look into what policy is going to be best for you what kind of policy you need what kind of cover um I would definitely recommend taking out some kind of insurance for your business um if not on day one then definitely at some point down the line So the second thing I think you need to think about, and we might have touched on this when I spoke to Gemma, is banking for your business. Because however you choose to set up your business, so whether you decide to operate as a sole trader or as a limited company, and you can go back to the interview with Gemma to find out more about the differences, you will need some kind of bank account so you can send and receive money. And I suggest it's probably worth thinking about what kind of banking you might need at the outset. And obviously that can change. So if you're running your business as a sole trader, it's fine to use your own bank account. That's actually what I did initially, um, although I did find fairly early on that it was much easier to have a separate bank account for sort of business transactions um, and keep it s- separate from my own personal account so you can set up a separate account if you wanted to if you're setting up as a business so you're you know you're actually registering as a company whether it's a limited company or another kind of entity you will need a business bank account and obviously you can get um, a business bank account on the high most high street banks and their online banks so there's plenty of options out there i'm not going to go into that because that's obviously something that you can look at and find the bank that will best suit you But the main reason I wanted to bring up the subject of banking is I think one thing that's worth asking yourself now is will you need to send and receive foreign currency? 
Um, and you might be thinking, well, why would I? Um, so let's run a few sort of little scenarios. So if you're sourcing your products overseas, you might well need to pay your supplier in the currency of that country. So if you're sourcing in Europe, for example, you'd be paying in euros. And actually, if you source your products from China, you'll be quoted and possibly need to pay in US dollars. So that's something worth thinking about. Um, The reason I say possibly need to pay in dollars is because if you're sourcing your products via Alibaba, which is a Chinese-based sourcing site that I've mentioned before, they do now give you the option to pay in pounds. So I've done this a few times and so far it looks pretty good. The exchange rate is comparable and sometimes better than what I'd get using TransferWise, which is the other um, bank I use for foreign currencies and I'll talk to you a bit a bit more about that in just a moment or two um, yeah so it actually works out cheaper for me at the moment to send money to um, to my supplier via Alibaba um, in pounds using using I still use TransferWise to do it than it does to send it in dollars it actually works out not much cheaper but a little bit and personally I think every little bit counts Um, Another reason that you might want um, a bank account that can handle foreign currency is if you're going to be selling globally or maybe just even in Europe if you're based here in the UK like me because you might be receiving money in different currencies. So if you're taking payments through PayPal or Stripe or your own website you can obviously receive it in pounds or if you're listening to this in US obviously you can receive it in dollars or whatever currency works for you. Um, But if you are selling via Amazon so payments from the European marketplaces for example will be sent to you as euros Um, if you sell on amazon.com payments will be sent to you in dollars if you sell in the UK it will be sent to you in pounds and that's regardless of where you're based in the world so you really do want a bank account in my opinion that can deal with multiple currencies um, because you, you may well find yourself dealing with two or more so For this reason, I also use TransferWise, which is the account I mentioned earlier to manage my foreign currencies. So basically, I have a UK account of them. This is all online. So I have a UK account, a euro account and a dollars account. Um, And then I also have my main business bank account, which is UK High Street Bank, which I only use for UK currency. So the majority of payments that I receive um, from Amazon or from PayPal, from you know payments that come via my website and um, from from product sales that I make most of my payments do go into my UK high street bank however my payments i receive from amazon for my european sales go into transferwise and you can then move money between your different transferwise accounts um so if i'm paying a supplier for example i used to pay them in dollars and i would use my transfer account wise account for that i would just you can within transfer wise convert the euros into dollars and make the payment i needed to make now i as i say typically pay my supplier in pounds but i still use transfer wise to do that um simply because the fees are actually less than if i was paying them the same amount of money for my high street bank um yeah the fees are so low so for me it makes much more sense even when i'm sending pounds the fees are so much lower that it makes much more sense to do that from transfer wise than from my sort of regular high street bank so that's what i use that for um it's a free bank account it's all online pretty easy to set up there are other 
bank accounts that do similar things so you can have a look around from that um i used to use a different one but i found TransferWise works a little bit better for me and that's the one i'm using now but um do have a think about that because what i don't think you want is to for amazon for example to say you're selling on amazon and they're paying you in euros if they're if they're paying that into a bank account that only handles sterling so only handles pound sterling then they're going to transfer it for you and you're probably not going to get a great rate and then you also might get charged additional fees because they've had to convert that money for you so if you believe you're going to be receiving any money and anything other than your you know your own currency wherever you're based I would definitely think about getting a bank account that can handle that. Okay, and the third thing that I want you to think about is applying for an EORI number if you need to. So this was a really big thing for me and something that I wish I'd known in advance when I very first got started, um, which is why I want to tell you about it now, because this is probably one of the single biggest mistakes I made. Um, So an EORI is an Economic Operators Registration and Identification Number, which is a bit of a mouthful, probably why they call it EORI. And it's needed to move goods between the UK and non-EU countries. And not having one can cause you all kinds of problems and delays and it can incur extra costs. So something that happened to me a few years ago, apologies if you've heard this story before, it's my first shipment of my product. Um, it left China to head to the UK, took ages to get here. And then when it eventually did get to UK Customs, it was held for ages because I didn't have an EORI number. So I hadn't declared it. And um, I had a call from Customs basically saying, we've received something for you, but unless you get your paperwork in order, it's, you know, it's not coming in. Um, and it took a little bit of time to sort out it's basically it's just it's just a number I can't remember how many digits the number is uh, maybe like an eight digit number that you need to give to your shipping company if your product if your product is produced outside of the UK and you're shipping it to the UK so it doesn't matter if your product is produced in China or Europe or anywhere else it doesn't matter if it'll be stored in your house in a warehouse if it's going to an Amazon warehouse without any ORI it just won't get through customs so you know it's not getting here um, you also need one if your product is manufactured in the UK but you plan to export it to other countries so if you were planning on sending a shipment of your products to a physical store in a different location so let's say you're based in the UK and you're going to send um, some products to a, a shop in Berlin to sell on your behalf for example or if you are sending your products to a warehouse that's based in another country so it's really easy to do. You apply online. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes. It takes about five to ten minutes to apply. It's completely free and it takes around a week to get your number. Um, it then can take around another 48 hours until you can actually use it until it's activated. So my best advice to you is to apply to one for one as soon as you know you'll be needing one. So when you're at the stage where you're going to be arranging you know, the final order of your products, if your product will be created outside the UK, that's the point where I would apply for it. Because typically it's going to take at least a week, possibly much longer than that for your products to get here. And that will give you plenty of time to have it. Um, if you think you already have an EORI number, like say, let's say you've been 
selling products online for a while and you've been sourcing them elsewhere, just double check that it starts with a GB because when I was researching this episode, I actually came across something on a government website that said that if your ERI number doesn't start with a GB, it won't be valid after the 1st of January 2021 and you'll have to apply for a new one. So have a quick look. I've looked at mine. Um, I definitely think it's something worth you know, the few minutes it takes to check and if it doesn't, you can apply for a new one now. And that is it. So as I promised, a fairly quick episode. Yes, hopefully nothing too taxing or too complicated. Um, As I say, I think all of these are things that you can get set up fairly quickly. They're just going to take a bit of looking into and working out what's best for you. As with everything, I would say, other than the EORI, which if you need one, apply for it. If you're not sure you need one, still apply for it but when it comes to banking and insurance like with most things it's kind of better to do something and change it rather than spending ages figuring it out so when you're looking for insurance policies for example if you can find a policy that does everything you want it to do um, even if you're not sure it's going to be the right one for you forever if it's good for you right now I would say get it set up and the same thing with banking if you can find um, a bank that does what you want them to do you know, go for it. You can always change further down the line. I've changed um, business banks, both my high street one and my one for handling foreign currency in the four years that my business has been running for various reasons. Um, you know, you can change things. The most important thing is to just get something set up now so you can keep going. Um, yeah, and on that note, please do keep going because, yeah, it's really important that you do. So I really hope you've enjoyed this episode, found it useful. Um, I really hope that there's, you know, a few things you can go away now and take a look at. Um, as I say, deliberately kept it short, so you've got a little bit of time to do that. Um, I would love it if you could leave me a review for this episode, if you've got some time. Um, if not, just a quick rating. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can literally just scroll down below this episode Um and you see a couple of stars and you can just give me a star rating if you've only got a couple of seconds um that'd be really appreciated so thank you so much as always if you have any questions um you can get in touch with me and i would love to help you out to have a fantastic day and i'll speak to you soon if you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.